everyone, welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm Chris Case, sitting today with Coach Trevor Connor, as always. We're going to do another favorite workouts of Fast Talk All-Stars episode today. It is January. It is base season, at least in North America it is. So we wanted to tailor this mostly towards that, but doesn't mean everything that we have here is ride your bike slow type workouts. Oh, absolutely not. There's some good high intensity workouts in here and getting a little high intensity in the base is a good thing. Great. We have an all-star lineup, as we always do. Let me go through the list. We have, dare I call him, legendary physiologist, Dr. Ed Coyle, coach Jeff Winkler, pro rider Hannah Finchamp, both on mountain bikes and gravel, she does it all, and a coach herself, coach Julie Young, former pro roadie and does a little bit of everything now on, on in terms of racing and coaching. Legendary physiologist and coach Inigo San Milan, who's been a, a longtime fan and member of the crew here at Fast Talk. Coach and founder of Training Peaks, Dirk Friel, and friend of ours, bike journalist and tech guru, Ben Delaney. So a range of physiologists, coaches, athletes, and regular guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. Some good workouts in here, so. Let's get to it and let's let's make make it fast. fast. In all of sports, nutrition is one of the most confusing and controversial topics. That's because everyone has an opinion and it's hard to tell fact from fat. Plus, what works for one person may not work for you. Now Fast Talk Laboratories is shedding some light on the science of sports nutrition. In our new Sports Nutrition Pathway, we take a deep dive into the science and practice of sports nutrition to help you find what works for you. This pathway features experts like Dr. Asker Yukendrup, Dr. Brian Carson, Dr. Tim Noakes, Dr. John Hawley, Julie Young, and Ryan Kohler. They create a science-based framework that will show you how to think about sports nutrition in a new way. Our Sports Nutrition Pathway is the only guide you need to this complex topic. See more at fasttalklabs.com slash pathways. All right, this first workout comes from Dr. Ed Coyle. It is a 5x5. Tell us about the specifics of this particular 5x5, Trevor. Well, first thing I'm going to say, it's been really interesting asking all these coaches and physiologists their favorite workout because I would say the one that we get the most is the 5x5s. But there are different variations on this. You've heard mine, which is more of a threshold effort. Dr. Coyle's is a little harder than that. Now we're getting into what people would call those VO2 max intervals. So I wouldn't necessarily do these in December or January, but they are something that you could bring into your training as you're getting towards the end of that base season. Mm -hmm. Very good. Let's hear from Dr. Coyle. Favorite workout is uh, five times five minutes at 95% of VO2 max. You know, being a runner, that would be a standard workout of running one mile under five minutes, doing that five times. For a cyclist, you can do it, do it on trainers, and that's probably the most easiest way to do it if you, you're able to really control your power output. Because 90% versus 95% is a big difference in how hard it is. You, you really want to keep all five right at that 95%. Right. What's the recovery between the intervals? Four to five minutes usually. So what physiologically are the benefits of these intervals? 
it's going to raise VO2 max. It will probably be the most effective enlarging the heart and making the heart stronger to in pumping blood for raising stroke volume. Again, it's, it's the specificity of training. You're having to uh, recruit both slow and fast twitch muscle fibers to complete the workout. Great. And then final question related to the workout is what time of year is the best time to do these intervals? You know, they're usually done in the latter half of the preseason and then up until the season starts, right up until you're probably two or three weeks from your main competition. So this is a kind of the getting you ready for being on peak form type interval. Exactly. Yeah. You'd be following those with shorter duration, higher intensity intervals going two minutes at 105% of the VO2 max or two minutes at, for a runner running 800 meters in two minutes and five seconds, two minutes and 10 seconds. All right, let's hear our next workout. And this one comes from Coach Jeff Winkler, Big Gears. Tell us more, Trevor. Yeah, I loved hearing him say this because this is one I've talked to a lot of people over the years and heard mixed opinions on this. I'm a big fan of big gear work. I used to go out and just do long rides, grinding out 60 RPM. And I've been told by some coaches, don't do it. It's the worst thing in the world. Other people have said, yeah, there's some benefits to that. So it was actually quite surprising. We asked Jeff Winkler, what's your favorite? And he's like, go out and do five hours at that low cadence, <laughs> which I was like, oh, thank you. Nice. But let's, let's hear what he has to say. I, I think there are some benefits to this. Great. Here's Jeff. Probably, I'm going to date myself a little bit here because this was really important when I was, my career, when I discovered this technique is for me, the overgeared endurance work is, I think, something that's missing from a lot of programs and athletes really benefit from if it's a regular part of their program. And I remember discovering that on my own in the 90s and wishing I had learned that some years before, because I felt like it really transformed the kind of rider I was. I mean, we mostly know what that means, but I remember how I found out about it was watching a, a, a world tour team that was in a training camp in San Diego, and they would ride two by two for five, six hours in the 5315 and never change gears. And, you know, you'd roll up I mean, they wouldn't go up 15% grades, but, you know, they would go uphill in that gear. And so then they'd be grinding at 50 RPMs. And, and then when it was flat, they'd be rolling along at 25 miles an hour, you know, or whatever. And in terms of strength, endurance and, and having good legs late in races, I mean, that was a really fundamental workout that I came to appreciate. So that's what I was going to ask. What do you feel are the benefits of that workout? Yeah, for me, um, when I really practiced it, which was funny enough, was kind of after the peak of my competitive years, where I just kind of got to the point where I was like, well, you know what, I'm really not interested in doing structured intervals. And so I would just go ride four hours in like the 53, 15 or 14 and going fast and ended up doing some very long rides where you're going like 25 miles an hour for, you know, hundred miles solo. And that year I raced my last year and ended up winning multiple races in long solo breakaways that I had never done before. That was not the kind of rider I was earlier. And the way it expressed it was you could go hard early in a race and not feel, not feel as much fatigue late in a race. 
So how would you execute this? Is it as simple as just go out and do a long ride and keep it in a, a big gear? Is there any cadence that you're targeting? Back in the day, it was done primitively, which was like the stick it in a gear and leave it kind of approach. I think today with all the sensors and, and uh, the, you know, collect, you can get cadence, um, you can then, you have two approaches. You can either go the old school route or say, I often will give it in terms of blocks and just say, let's do 15 minutes, 30 minutes, what have you, and, and keep the cadence in a range. And so then you're using your gears and, and it opens up terrain that you wouldn't have in the old school method. So uh, what sort of cadence, what's the range that you would typically prescribe? Well, I can say what I did back in the day was probably not low by some low standards today. I know you see some of the triathlete workouts, especially on some of the services where they're in the 50s. I probably never had extended periods of time in that that low, but I would say 70 to 75 was, I mean, but you might do that for four hours, you know, as opposed to like a 15 minute block or something like that. Okay. And finally, how frequently should an athlete do this? And, and is there a best time of year to do this? It's a good question. I'm going to sort of, again, resort to my historical experience. Towards the end of my career, I actually did all of my endurance work like that. Now, that's not to say that there weren't times during those rides where I was at 85 or 90 RPM, but generally speaking, I was pushing big gears in all my endurance rides. And I didn't find that seasonally it mattered that much. I would do it. If, if I could do it, I would do it kind of thing. And and since I never was a, you know, you never had weeks and weeks off the bike. You, you were never to where you had to ease back into things that much. Our next workout comes from Hannah Finchamp, coach and athlete. Hers is a crisscross over under interval. That's a mouthful. Trevor, tell us a bit more about this. So on paper, this would look like something that we recommend against, which is that overly complicated workout where you're doing maybe a 15-second effort and then a one-minute effort and then a 20-second effort, whatever whatever it happens yeah. to be. But I really like her explanation of why she says to do this, which is over-unders hurt. They are hard workout. Mm -hmm. So she likes adding some variety into it to just make it more manageable, to make it a little more fun. All right, let's hear from Hannah. My favorite workout are over-under intervals, something that most people are probably familiar with, but I also like to call them crisscross intervals because I think that crisscross allows for them to be done a lot of different ways. So, you know, the over-under might typically be two minutes above threshold, two minutes just below, you know, maybe three times 12. Crisscross intervals, I think it can be done in many ways. So maybe it's four minutes at sweet spot, two minutes at tempo, you know, for 30 minutes or something like that. So I really like those crisscross intervals or anything that goes back and forth and keeps me really entertained in that way. Do you have a particular crisscross interval that you really enjoy? Yeah. I mean, right now I would say, you know, we're kind of in that base time of year. So I would say I really enjoy 30 minutes, four minutes at tempo, two minutes at sweet spot, just continuing that pattern for the full 30 minutes. Okay. And what time of year would you do that workout? That would be early season. Yeah. During probably, you know, mid to end of your base training period. And this is something you can definitely speak to. What would be the physiological gains you would get from these intervals? 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, sweet spot and tempo are still technically going to be aerobic because they're under that threshold. So, you know, you're still going to be making some of those aerobic gains and you're going to, the goal of this is to increase your threshold. So increase the intensity that you can hold while still staying. I like the term to keep it really simple is just under control. You know, I think we've all done those intervals where it feels like you're standing, sitting, standing, sitting, trying to hit the numbers but when you're truly under threshold where you're just like, man, this hurts, but I could do this all day. All right. The next workout here comes from longtime contributor, Julie Young. She's taking us off the bike. Trevor, tell us more. Well, you know, my bias on this, and it's good to hear Julie have a, the same bias, which is cyclists in particular need to get off the bike, need to do this sort of strength work. I think it's critical. I personally do it all year round, but at the very least, you need to be doing it through that base season. So I think it's really good to hear from Julie talking about the importance of this and and giving it a little bit of guidance on how to do this. Excellent. Let's hear from Julie. So I'm thinking like off the bike is, I wouldn't say, I don't think it's that unique, but I am just a huge proponent of strength work. And I typically like to build my workouts into circuits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have like a a lower body, upper body and and a stretch or perhaps a plyometric. And and I think that keeps it just, you kind of can move through the workout. I mean, obviously it's depending on like the amount of resistance you're pushing in terms of recovery. But I think just kind of circling between those three exercises allows you the recovery as opposed to just sitting and waiting. And I think it keeps it a bit more stimulating. So I'm a huge fan, not that it's unique, but I I love like a Romanian deadlift and I love like single leg Romanian deadlifts. And then mixing that with like an upper body work that you're you know, having to balance. So like a single leg, like in hurdle step, kind of a military press type thing. So just kind of in a workout, engaging like balance and posture and keeping it more stimulating. And then, you know, as I said, just coupling that with some sort of, you know, whether we're doing some sort of stretch as that kind of rest period. And in some cases, maybe throwing in a set of plyometrics. So that's for me, like, my favorite type of off-bike workout. So what would be an example of a plyometric workout? I mean, I think it depends. So it could be, you know, whether you're using the the med ball and you're like, you're rotating and, you know, in an athletic stance and, and exploding through the hips. So you're getting that full extension through your hips. So for folks that maybe plyos don't really, they don't, they're not well tolerated on the body, like the the jumping and landing. And that's a really good one to still get that explosive activity through your hips or, you know, just, just simple things like a box jump. And I, I actually really like with the plyos and, and really like any sort of squat is if we're doing like double limbs and if we're doing, for example, like that box jump to put like the mini band over the knees. So it's cueing the glute medius to, for those good kind of mechanics on landing and, and takeoff. But I think also with plyos, obviously you just want, you know, a good foundation of strength in place and good 
you know, I think the early phases of strength, you're working postural control and good limb alignment for that good, good loading of the joint. But, and then, you know, phasing into the, those plyos, so not necessarily doing plyos right off the bat and thinking about like, you know, maintaining that good postural control on, on landing and those soft landings. Great. So you touched on this a little bit, but what is the benefit of, of doing this as a circuit? For me, you know, again, obviously it depends on on the amount of resistance, you know, and, and again, as we, we get into the more demanding part of a strength program where, you know, max strength and power with more velocity. But, you know, for me, I just, I think it keeps it more entertaining as opposed to like doing a set of squats and just sitting and waiting you know, you're kind of, you're working a different muscle group. So you're allowing like the legs to relax and recover. And then maybe you're doing like upper body. And then again, kind of moving then to a stretch. Again, you're doing something active, but you're you're also allowing for that recovery. Right. And is, do you feel that uh, this sort of strength work is something you should do all year round? Or is there a period of time when you should not be doing this? I mean, for me, I feel like, I hate to call it an off season. I know we we also call it a transition season. So, you know, immediately after the summer competitive season, you know, that's really the time we like focus and invest in in strength. And that becomes more the structured work of the training plan. Um, And I do feel like that is a great benefit for year round training is just allowing these, these times of the year where we can dedicate to these different objectives. But for me, like the fall, early winter is the time to really invest in the strength program. And that's, you know, in my planning, it's typically, you know, about a 16-week program. But then I think, you know, in my opinion, where the science has changed, I know when I was racing, I worked with Dr. Testa. I don't know if you guys know Dr. Testa, but I adore Dr. Testa. He's he's amazing, but he did not believe in strength because like basically he said, you know, once you make this investment off season, then you start riding your bike and you quit, then you lose it. But I think where the science has changed is that, you know, if we can make this good investment in this quote off season and then do just, you know, minimum one day, like one good day, you know, where it's concise, it's, it's 45 minutes hitting the big muscle groups, you know, that's enough to maintain and build on that investment. And then obviously it depends like what's going on in, in the race calendar. You know, maybe there's there's times where there's not a bunch of racing. So maybe you can do like a good day in the gym and then maybe a good plyo day, you know, but I think just continuing at least one day through the season allows you to build on that investment. Hi, I'm Dr. Steven Siler. I got to tell you, it's a thrill for me to have the opportunity to go in and see a whole collection of my lectures and webinars all in one place, free of charge for the members of Fast Talk and the broader sports science world. And not only me, but other sports scientists have collected their work and Fast Talk Laboratories is presenting it for all of you to use and learn from every day. All right, our next workout comes from Inigo San Milan. This is a zone two workout, and he's talking zone two in a five zone model. Yes. Tell us a bit more, Trevor. So I got to share a bit of my story, which is many, many years ago, I went to get tested by Dr. San Milan. And you know, I was happy with the test results, but he said, here's something you really need to do and introduced me to this concept of 
the zone two ride. Now, or he called it aerobic threshold ride, I believe at the time. So I had always done my, my volume work, very low intensity. And he was talking about there is this value of riding just below that aerobic threshold. It's a very hard interval to execute. Mm-hmm. I brought that into my training, which was something I had never done before and was surprised at the gains I got from it. But I'm also going to say, and he's going to talk about that execution, even though this sounds like a pretty easy thing to do, the execution is actually really hard. Excellent. Let's hear from Dr. San Milan now. I mean, definitely I'm a big defender of zone two, right? But also I, I really like that the athletes uh, can get good sensations. That's what I enjoy when, when, I, when, when I get back to someone like today and, and I see his numbers and he tells and I ask him, how were the legs today? He says, good, really good. That's what I like, you know, because uh, it makes me feel good about that workout. But, but again, yeah, a good zone too with a few, you know, intensity efforts. That's, that's, a, that's a good training, right? So describe the execution of a zone two ride. Is it you're trying to average in that zone or is it you're really trying to sit steady in that zone? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I would definitely be steady there, right? Because this is a little bit of some, some, you know, especially when you do look at some of the partitioning, right, of the of the zones, you might say, oh, wow, this guy has done a good zone two overall, but you can you can get there by doing very high intensity and, and very low intensity, right? And the average is zone two. It's going to be about being steady there. And how long should it be? Understanding that for somebody like uh, Ted A, it's going to be very different from our, our average listener. How do they know how long to go for? Yeah, so I think that for, for many people, like myself, who don't have much time, you know, like one and a half hours or so, it is really good enough for your level of, of, of cycling, right? Uh, obviously, I'm not, I'm not going to do the Tour de France or, or, or any, <laughs> try to upgrade my category anytime soon. <laughs> so uh, just want to stay fit or even improve my fitness, right? So, so yeah, an hour and a half does the job for what I, uh, I'm expecting. If you want to category one and you want to go to pro ranks, definitely, yeah, you need to do longer periods, right? Like uh, you need to do four or five hours in sync with, with professional athletes, right? I would say though that, you know, if you do zone two, the real zone two for seven hours, oof, it's going to be really hard on you and, and you're going to be pretty destroyed the next day. So this is another thing of the zone two. People think that it's easy, but it depends. It, it's easy for me, but for a world-class athletes, it's, it's a really hard day of training because zone two is really, really hard. We're talking about, you know, it depends on the athlete. It could be 280, 300, 325 watts for, for five hours, yep. right? That's, that's really, thing. I mean, I cannot do that for even five minutes, right? Let alone five hours, right? So th- this, is, this is why everybody's different. And this is what, you know, you need to dial in the exercise intensity specifically to each uh, athlete. And how frequently should you do this? So, yeah, I think that it depends on the time of the season, right? But uh, I'd say, uh, I would say that, you know, to maintain, you need to do like one, two days and then, you know, to improve, you know, like three days. It's a, it's a good time, three to four days a week. All right. Following on the heels of Dr. San Milan's workout, we have a workout from Dirk Friel, and it is also in this aerobic threshold genre. Tell us more, Trevor. 
Yeah, he gives a little bit of a, a specific way that he does it, but it's the exact same thing that Dr. Salmalan was just talking about of riding right at that right intensity and keeping it steady. And Dirk likes to use a climb for it. But I think he even says right at the start that this is actually surprisingly a hard workout to do. All right, let's hear from Dirk. My favorite is also one of the hardest, which I dream of doing sometimes, but wish I would do it more often. But in Boulder, I love that we can take advantage of changes in altitude. And I love aerobic threshold workouts and building that, that aerobic engine. And so I love going from, if people know the routes around Boulder, you start at the Greenbrier and go up left-hand canyon and end at Brainerd Lake. And that's at 10,000 feet, just at 10,000 feet. And you're starting at 5,500 or something. So what I like to do is I'm going to set a goal to just stay at my upper zone two heart rate. You know, for me, it's like 148. I have a low heart rate and I'm 51 years old. So 148, I try and target that. And, um, but I might start out with wattage, you know, it's not 148 in the first second, right? So I might start out with, okay, I'm going to target 280 watts. Heart rate gets to 148. I'm not going to look at watts. I'm just going to maintain good cadence, you know, good 148 right around there if I can. And then the altitude is going to kind of create that decoupling, not, you know, Fatigue will create the decoupling, but altitude will even accentuate it more. And as I gain that aerobic fitness, I see that decoupling become reduced. And I, I can maintain a higher wattage at the same heart rate. Hence, this is why we train. And I love that workout. And I love seeing that improvement over time. So that's my favorite workout to do. So what do you feel is the benefit to this workout? Well, it's a test as well as a workout. So I, I do love putting these tests into training programs and the athlete doesn't know it's a test. If you call it test day, that has big ramifications sometimes. So sometimes this workout is a test and it's a personal test for me. So I get to hopefully see improvement, not always. But then I, I love the quality of that workout is such high quality but you have to maintain this self-discipline to not go too hard because your watts are going to drop. And I might be at 210 watts by the time. And you're going slow. Riders are going to pass you. There's 80 riders a day at least going up Left Hand Canyon that are very good riders. So I might be going very slow up the steep parts and maintaining 250 and then 220 and who knows at the end. But that should degrade less as I improve uh, my fitness. So I just love the quality of the workout and, and it's a self-test. Okay. And so the two other questions, how often would you do this? And is there a particular time of year or this is all, all year? This being a test, maybe only two or three times a month, I think I can take the numbers and then that becomes more than half of my training you know, again, it's like the discipline to take those numbers, to put them into training. And, it, and you can't just stop 30 minutes, every 30 minutes for a coffee stop break, right? You got to have this consistent, ongoing kind of zone to aerobic threshold that has to be consistent and no breaks, but yet you can't go too hard or therefore you're going to have too much lactate and different energy system, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of a mainstay 
of, of my training is to, to build that uh, amount of time up over the progression of my training at that zone two threshold. All right, let's turn our attention to the last workout. It comes from Ben Delaney, and this is maybe one of the more fun ones. It's certainly what uh, a lot of people want to be doing all the time, but uh, tell us more about the kind of the unscripted group ride, if you will, that Ben lists as his favorite. Yeah, this is like that chocolate cake after eating a really healthy <laughs> dinner. I, you know, I'm with Ben. I love group rides. I, I wish I could say best training in the world is go out and do a group ride every single day because yeah. I would do that. Yep. It's not the best training, but there's a real value in getting in those group rides somewhat regularly, both for the the mental and fun side and, and also to get some good intensity. So, And I, I think that's the message that, that Ben's trying to convey here. Excellent. Let's hear from Ben now. My favorite workout is a group ride. It's not a scripted five minutes on, four minutes off at this intensity, that intensity. is going and doing group rides where it's a fun, interactive thing where I'm just focused on staying on, on the wheel as best I can and getting a higher intensity workout than I would normally be able to get by myself. So here in Boulder, Colorado, uh, I like doing the stages Tuesday ride, turned up Tuesday, typically end up behind people who have number plates still on their bike from racing and and way over my head and end up uh, getting a high quality workout in because that, or in COVID times, it's continued on Zwift racing. I love doing Zwift racing. 45 minutes is a long one, just great threshold, super threshold stuff, so... So what are the benefits of doing a group ride or train race? Well, you could back it. Depending on the type of the event, you could back in what the goals are, the benefits are. You know, like a long weekend group ride is like, that's all good zone two stuff, right? But like a the Zwift training race is all threshold, not all, it's largely threshold and above. So you could say that's like a doing an over-under type workout, um, which I'm doing it by myself. I would I would block it out as intervals uh, right. just a lot more fun if i'm chasing somebody or trying to get away from somebody than just looking at a computer so do you have a particular way that you try to ride them to make sure you're getting the most benefit or just go and have fun and don't think about it mostly go and have fun and don't think about it you know like then the zwift does categories by watts per kilo and i'm kind of in no man's land between b's which tops out at 3.99 watts per kilo and A is which is four and up. So B races I'll try to win. A races I just try to not get shellacked. That's that's the strategy. Okay. <laughs> just play, you know. And so let's get to the when. Is this stuff that you do all year round or is there a particular time of year that you really use this and a time of year that you wouldn't use this? Mm, pretty much with Zwift pretty much year, year round. Yeah, Tuesdays. You know, start with stages turned up Tuesday is a Tuesday thing. And I guess some of the ideas, if you're doing racing or longer rides on the weekend, you take Monday off and then Tuesday you come back and punch your buddies, absorb their punches and go, from there. go, go back to the desk kind of dizzy for the afternoon, but full of endorphins. Perfect. Okay. Nobody's given us the group ride yet. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, is this a weekly thing or uh, in terms of the group rides? Do you try to get one in every week? Yeah. At least one a week for sure. Yeah. Trying to make it every Tuesday. I get salty if somebody schedules a, a work meeting over Tuesday lunch, but yeah, weekly whenever possible for sure. 
That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode and become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join to become a part of our education and coaching community. For Dr. Ed Coyle, Jeff Winkler, Hannah Finchamp, Julie Young, Dr. Inigo San Milan, Dirk Friel, Ben Delaney, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.